Hello and welcome back to another episode of Get in the Mud. I'm your host, Lacey Dean, and I am so grateful that you are here. I understand your time is the most valuable thing that you have, and the fact that you're choosing to spend it here with me is such a privilege, and I do not take it lightly. There are a million and one podcasts that you could choose to listen to, content, books, things that you could take in, yet you're choosing to be here to get into these spaces that often feel messy and feel twisty and yet we can navigate them together and I really want to provide a space that you feel seen and known and encouraged that there is hope for change in the areas that often feel really overwhelming. I want this podcast to provide value to you and I would love to hear if there are specific areas of your life that you need support and improvement or you feel you don't have the skills needed. I know in navigating life after trauma, after abuse, life with ADHD and not knowing it for a very long time, I didn't feel like I was equipped for the life that I had to be in. And I want us to bring these things forward so that we can learn and grow together and not feel isolated in that process, that we are all going through it and that's part of the human experience. You're not alone in these spaces and I hope that this podcast provides you with tangible tools that really equip you to move forward in that way too in your own life. So without further ado, I am so excited to introduce today's episode to you. This is something, like I mentioned, I recently was diagnosed officially with ADHD. I am 30 years old. I have struggled with the symptoms of ADHD my whole life and had no idea that that was actually what I had. I just thought it was a character flaw. I thought that I was scattered, that I wasn't able to learn. I thought I was really dumb for a long time. When in reality, I have gifts within ADHD, but I also have certain setbacks that I have to understand about my brain, about the way that I function and the motivating drives that I have. I've had to learn a lot of tools recently to better help myself in the areas that I know I've always had weaknesses in. And in that exploration, I've been doing a lot of reading. When I tell you a lot of reading, all of the reading. I've been limiting my social media time using an app called Freedom, if you're not familiar with that app. There's a free version as well as a paid version. I personally use the paid version because I can schedule the time blocks in which my phone will completely lock me out of the apps that often distract me or somehow I magically end up on, aka social media. And then all of a sudden I've wasted an hour, two hours, three hours of my life honestly avoiding things because it's a cheap level of dopamine and stimulation for my brain that eats it up. And I don't want to live my life constantly taking in stimulus and things that aren't really serving the life that I'm actually in and I'm living through a screen. So creating that buffer, just that little buffer of every time I'll go to log on to the app, it will literally say, no, you're free to do great things. It creates enough space that I remember, wait a second, I'm not supposed to be on my phone and I actually use that time intentionally in my life. And I have recognized that I have so much more mental capacity and time when I'm not constantly stimulating my brain in a way that causes a shorter attention span and in reality it's not really feeding anything positive other than the quote-unquote connection to the people that I love but I really want to be more intentional even in that and connecting directly with the people that I love instead of through a screen so that's just a shameless plug for freedom the app if you I have no connection to them. I have no benefit other than this was a really helpful tool for me. I set it up every day from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. I have no access to my phone during the workday. And then from 
five o'clock till eight o'clock, I have a window in which I can be on social media. And then eight o'clock through the rest of the evening, it is shut off again. It allows me time to wind down, but it really breaks up my day in a way that I'm able to really use the power that I have within my system, within the energy that I have to be productive, to show up and to read and to do things that have been more enriching into the life that I'm actually in. So with that being said, I've read so many books on ADHD, on habits, on structure, because I've always struggled with structure, especially going into the new year. I know so many people are focused on the decisions and habits and resolutions that we have set forward for 2024, but it is so critical that we understand how habits form, how we can actually sustain habits in our day-to-day life in the small micro changes and and micro little moments in between and how do we build sustainable change. So in this episode specifically, I'm going to be talking a lot from one book that has drastically impacted me. It was recommended to me and it is so good I've read it twice in a month. It is a New York Times bestseller. I'm sure you've probably heard of it. It is called Atomic Habits, Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results by James Clear. And it is so well written to break down how the actual mechanisms of habits start and happen and how do we form our identity and how do we really look at habits as a reflection of the life that we are choosing in the areas of our life that we desire to improve. Habits are something that feel like they should be easier than they actually are for a lot of us. But in reading this book, I've understood that it's because we don't understand the system that is required for habits and what often drives human behavior. So I want to talk a lot in this episode directly from the book and the things that I gleaned from the book that were transformative for me. If you have not read this book, I highly urge you do. If you have ADHD, I'm telling you, run to this book. If you struggle with sitting and reading a book, audiobooks will be your best friend, but get this information in you. There's so much in this book that, of course, I don't have the ability to talk about in the fullness of, because duh, it's one podcast episode, but I really urge you to read it if you haven't. It's been transformative for me and it's just really valuable information to know. And like I said, a lot of this content is going to be coming directly from the notes that I've taken on this book. So it is not my work. It is not based on just my own observation, but a lot of it is taken directly from Atomic Habits, Chinese Changes to Remarkable Results by James Clear. just want to reiterate that. So with that being said, the four areas of this episode I really want to touch on are building the foundation of what are habits? How do we actually look at habits through the lens of our brain? What are the three levels of change that ultimately drive most of our decisions? Habits as identity, and how do we form and break habits? I feel like these are the areas which provide a really good foundation for us to start discovering what are our current habits and how do we really look into supplying the brain with what it needs to then create the spaces and the the structures and systems within our life that actually allow us to complete these changes in identity and these changes in our habits on a day-to-day basis. So what is a habit? We understand that habits are something we do habitually, of course, but I love the fact that in this book, James Clear talks about habits as identity. It's something that really stood out to me because habits are ultimately just a feedback loop. It's our brain trying to figure out a behavior and the consequences that then follow. So habits are the brain interpreting new stimulus via trial and error, and it uses an experiment that basically talks about a cat playing with a lever 
where they would put a cat in a box and they basically provided food. They provided a stimulus for this cat to get out. And the time it took for the cat to then figure out, wait a second, if I repeatedly do this action to then get out of the box and to get the reward, the cat went from doing it in over a minute to six seconds on average because they figured out the progression that led to the desired result. So it's exploring, 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 and then ultimately there's a reward. And that happens in life. So often we we have this current state that we're trying to get out of and we explore solutions. And then all of a sudden we're just getting a reward and we go, oh, that feels good. Let me do that again. Or what was that about? Without really realizing that that's just our brain skipping that process of trial and error and getting to that reward on a repeated automated level. So at one point, the choice that we were making consciously now just becomes automatic. The behavioral scientist Jason Rea said, habits are reliable solutions to recurring problems in our environment. That habits solve problems. If I have a problem of stress and I can't find a way to cope through it, then me learning to come home and decompress at the end of the day via a glass of wine is teaching my body that in order to find relief from my stress, the wine then leads to said result and reward of relief. I'm then all of a sudden without realizing it, getting home and picking up a glass of wine before I even had time to think about it because my brain has already connected the dots between the reward and the decisions made that led to that reward because we will choose things as humans that solve problems. Now, the problems aren't always positive problems, but we are driven by pleasure. We're not going to choose something that harms us, and we know that to be the case. If we have negative feedback or negative responses, we often don't continue choosing it. And that we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more when it comes to building habits. How do we actually build habits in a way that is attractive to that system? Habits solve problems. It's a feedback loop that our body is always trying to figure out and reading the space, reading the environment to then perceive whatever the reward or the outcome might be. We are always going to be driven by outcome. We're going to try to predict and figure out meaning because that's how our nervous system works. Your central nervous system is reading the room and saying, what is something that needs to be remembered? What is something that needs to be marked as important and valuable? And if we are giving it positive hits or positive data in response to that, it's most likely something we will continue engaging with. Especially if it's not from a conscious mind, our conscious mind can only focus on so many things, then our body puts it into a subconscious mind. And that's where our belief systems and our habitual patterns and the automatic responses often reside. So when we look at building habits, there's a structure that James talks about as the four laws of building habits. So I'm going to go ahead and read these four sections directly from my notes because I feel it really breaks down the understanding of what each one means. So first we have the cue. It's the trigger that the brain uses that indicates the behavior and looks for the rewards. We see the decisions that we make are for secondary rewards, meaning for fame, recognition, success, but all of our decisions are often rooted in survival because at a subconscious level that is the most important driver, survival and procreation wanting to um, be in connection and to be safe. The mind is constantly analyzing our internal and external state. A cue is the first indication of being close to the reward, which then leads to the craving. If you don't crave brushing your teeth, you crave the feeling of a clean mouth. So no craving means you have no real reason to act. You don't crave the habit itself, but you crave the change that it delivers. For example, the wine. 
you might not actually crave that wine, but you do crave the feeling of stress relief that you get after that behavior. The cues are meaningless unless they are interpreted by us. The thoughts and feelings and emotions of the observer are what transform a cue into a craving. Then you have the response, a thought or an action to that cue and craving. A habit can only occur if we are capable of doing it. Depending on the friction or level of discomfort and just the, in general, the willingness to do it, the level of motivation and action then will take place. If it takes more energy than what you will want to exert, you will not do it. This response then delivers a reward. A reward serves two purposes, satisfying us and teaching us. Satisfying your craving temporarily. Rewards deliver contentment and a relief from that craving, even if it's just for a moment. And so it's our body remembering ultimately what actions are worth remembering. The central nervous system focusing on what actions deliver pleasure or disappointment. The rewards ultimately close that feedback loop. So without these four steps and the understanding how each and every one of these steps is involved in the formation of a habit, whether it's positive or negative, then gives us the ability to use these cues and responses, cravings and rewards to then create habits that actually serve us and then to reevaluate and kind of reverse engineer the ones that don't serve us. So within this framework, we have the four laws of behavior change. How do we actually use these four steps to create good habits? So looking at the cue, we want to make it obvious. The craving, make it attractive. The response, make it easy. And the reward, make it satisfying. And throughout the book, of course, it goes into greater detail about these specific areas. Again, I highly recommend you pick up a copy of it yourself. But how do we make the habits that we desire to build attractive, obvious, easy, and satisfying? That that is what will drive our human behavior and we're working with ourselves, not against ourselves. We don't need to white knuckle the fact that we actually hate the thing that we're doing. We need to just make it more appealing for this feedback loop in our body and in our brain. And the steps that we use to break bad habits are just the inverse of that. It's making it invisible as the cue. Craving is make it unattractive. Response, make it difficult. And reward, make it unsatisfying. So when it comes to positive habits, right? So let's say I want to wake up in the morning and walk my dog before work. The cue is I make it obvious. I put out my dog's leash, my clothes before going to bed because realistically at 5.30, adding any more mental thought into what am I going to wear and how, what do I need to do in the morning? I just don't do it well. So I make a list the night before, sit it next to my bed, and I have all of the steps that I need to do with a little checkbox next to it before I go to work. Sounds simple, but it really helps me feel accomplished and see, wow, I did all of that and it's not even 6.30. Two, on that list, I literally write, get up, walk your dog. It's the happiest time of her day. It is so important for her health. It's important for your health. You never regret it. Get up. And I need to read that in the morning because I'm reminding myself, not just of the cue, but I'm making it attractive to knowing I will never regret actually moving my body in the morning. And I go out at, on the actual walk and will look around, get the fresh air, have the sun in my, in my eyes and feel awake and feel vibrant after every time I feel better. So I'm making it attractive. I'm then focusing on the craving that then follows from that. What is the response that I desire to get out of this action, right? Which again, is feeling energized, having moved my body, knowing I'm closer to my goals, having helped my dog and her need of physical exercise, etc. 
So the response is making it easy, going hand in hand, kind of with the cues of how I'm setting myself up to then take action towards this goal by preparing the night before, by committing to the alarms that I've set the night before as well, etc. And the reward is making it satisfying. Then checking off that box for me truly is a reward. Looking at my dog and seeing how happy she is at the end of it is a reward. Feeling accomplished when it came to my watch and it tells me how much I've moved for the day. All of that is a reward, which makes me feel closer to and in more alignment with the goals that I've set for myself. So for me, when it comes to breaking a negative habit right now, I'm really focusing on my diet and how to eliminate sugar completely from my life, which is a sad, sad thing, but I have something called PCOS and it greatly impacts PCOS. So when it comes to breaking bad habits, Q is making it invisible, craving, making it unattractive, response, making it difficult, and reward, making it unsatisfying. And so I really have to reverse engineer what is, how can I make it invisible? I won't even buy it. I won't put myself in a position to go to the grocery store when I'm really hungry. The craving, what is the craving and making it unattractive? How do I feel after I eat sugar? What did it feel like for me to sit in the doctor's office and be scared and feel out of control when it came to the reality of my health? The response of what the action is that is then going to lead to me choosing to have sugar, making it difficult, I'm going to have accountability in place or I'm going to make sure that, again, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'm vulnerable when it comes to cravings, if I'm really, really hungry, or I um, ultimately, what is the action in response that's going to make it difficult for me to then not follow through with that? And the reward is in making it unsatisfying. I want there to be a negative consequence, something that is not rooted in shame necessarily, but something that does allow for me to then learn this is something I do not want to continue doing. Every goal is doomed to fail if it goes against our human nature. Your habits are shaped by the systems of your life. So if we really zoom out and we take an honest inventory and stock of our life and the choices that we're making, the habits are shaping the systems that we are engaging in in life. And that leads us into our next point, which focuses on how people actually change and the levels of change. Most behaviors are driven due to outcome. For example, I want to lose 40 pounds. That is a measurable result based off of what I can get out of that. The second level of change is changing the process or the system. This is where habits lie. And the third level is changing identity. So the first level of the outcome is focusing on what I can get out of it. The second in the process is what do I need to do in order to change habits and systems. And the third in identity is who do I need to be or become? It talked about in the book a woman who had lost a significant amount of weight asking herself in the situation of temptation, what would a healthy person do? Or people who were trying to give up smoking instead of saying, I'm trying to quit that meaning that they're still identifying as a smoker and they're just simply trying to quit versus the other person responding, I don't smoke. They're changing the identity in a very subtle way and saying, I am not a person who smokes. And that our habits form the identity that we embody, that it's a response of our actions in our life to then follow through in the areas that we say we believe. So a question I have for you is are your habits acting in alignment with the identity that you desire to be in your life? Who do you desire to be in your life? I want to be somebody who is consistent, that is thorough, that is well 
polished in the areas that I've struggled in. I don't want to be defined by ADHD. I don't want to be defined by the areas in which I know have not been highlights for me and that have been solutions to problems that are not necessarily healthy responses to them. I don't want to be somebody who makes a commitment and doesn't do it. I want to follow through on my word to myself. Because the habits that we make then form the identity that we hold. There's a real consequence within ourself of breaking the word of ourself to ourself. And we don't think of it that way very often because we think, you know, if nobody else knew, there's, it's not that serious. But we know. We know that we genuinely wanted to make the change to wake up earlier, to do the thing, or to work on the business, or to create whatever system that needs to be created. And yet we didn't do it because it felt difficult. We wanted a reward out of it that felt more appealing than the actual structure of the habit itself. And I know for me, I used to feel like habits were really restrictive, that I wanted to be free to then explore and to be in my life and and not feel like I was confined within habits, only to now recognize that habits allow the firm foundation that then allow me to show up in my life. I can't show up well in my life when I'm not managing my finances well. I can't show up well when I'm not sleeping, when I'm not eating in a way that's healthy and enriching to my body, I don't have energy to show up well. I'm ultimately being driven by things external to me in a way that isn't actually healthy for me. But when I do create the foundation and prioritize the things that I really need, which kind of means like being an adult to myself, being a parent to myself and putting myself to bed early, even though I don't really want to sometimes, I never regret it, and I remind myself why I'm doing it and that that's what actually establishes the foundation that I need to then live creatively, to go explore, and to have the ability to do that without the stress or the shame involved, because I know everything else is kind of taken care of. But I want you to really question and ask yourself, what are my current habits embodying? What is the identity that I am believing about myself because of the habits that I hold? If I haven't been disciplined when it came to my food or when it came to movement or came to, I used to be so mean to myself in this area. And it was a way of validating that belief that I wasn't good enough or that I wasn't attractive. And I continued feeding into this victim shame loop via my habits. What are our current habits saying about us and how can we Start taking accountability and recognizing we do have agency over the things that we choose. When I have an idea of who I desire to be in life, whether it's somebody who is consistent or somebody who manages her money well or somebody who wakes up early and walks her dog before work and is disciplined in that, right? What kind of person do I need to be in order to fulfill that habit? That would be an identity change or shift. And if that seems like a really big concept, then look at the outcome. What is the outcome you desire to change, right? What is the final result, which is, I want to walk my dog. Okay, who do I need to be then to follow through with that outcome and behavior? Who do I need to be then to actually sustain that long-term change? And one way that I've noticed this for me as somebody with ADHD, I really struggle with that long-term compounding growth in planning, if that makes sense. If it doesn't exist in front of me right now, I don't understand the concept of that long-term progressive growth in my brain. 
it's either now or never. It's right in front of me or it doesn't exist. And when I can see the slow progression on the notepad every day and see everything that I've accomplished for the last three months and have a stack of these little notes where I've listed to myself everything I've done every day before and after work, I can see the accomplishment of, wow, I've been consistent for 60, 90 days, right? That's something I've struggled with in the past many, many, many times, but because I've established the structure, I've made it appealing, I've made it visible, I've made actual tangible cues to myself, it has allowed that habit to become something I desire to do. I like the fact that I can trust myself now and I feel grounded in the areas of my life that I didn't really feel that way before. That was a change in identity. It was me being fed up with the results and the rewards that were negative in my life. I struggled in the past with addiction when it came to substances. I mentioned before that I had an addiction to weed for a long time and it was extremely habitual. I didn't even want it. I didn't even enjoy it. I thought it was a tool at one point, but it just became something that I did. All of a sudden I would get home and I was just so used to that being the way as I de- of decompressing after a long day that I wasn't actually showing up in my life at all and I got to the point where I was completely done. Completely done. It'll be a year of sobriety on April 22nd of 2024, and I have no desire to go back. And this is something that had debilitating control over me for years of my life. Why? Because I made a commitment that I don't want to be a person who relies on substance for the sake of my well being, for the sake of relaxation, for the sake of feeling good in the world. I want to be able to live my life and actually be in it, to be sober minded in it, and to not live under the weight of addiction and of hiding that addiction and the financial stress of addiction and all of that. So I know this is a lot of information and I know it can feel like just another thing to do, but I want to encourage you and empower you that your habits can change. If we actually look at our life right now and we're honest about it, things don't change overnight and you cannot completely uproot everything in your life and change it all in one foul swoop. You do deserve the space and grace to get the reps in. And that is the thing that is so crucial when it comes to building habits. In a portion of the book, they talked about something that they did with college students where they said, look, you two groups, one group of the students can be put in a category where you're given as many chances as you can to take as many pictures as necessary and you'll be graded on the best picture out of the multiple that were taken. And then there was another group where you could only take one picture to submit And it had to be the best picture that you'd taken all semester. The group that ultimately had far better pictures were, of course, the group that had more chances to then take more pictures. There wasn't the pressure. They just got the reps in. They had the practice. They were continuing to grow as they went about the process. And the group that had the one picture did not do as well, focused on that one picture being the pivotal endpoint. It was the end-all, be-all, and it had to be perfect in order to get the grade that they needed. They didn't get the reps in. They didn't learn and improve as they were going as well because they were so focused on that one final outcome. So if we want to change our habits and if we want to look at these things, we have to look at it in the micro 1% pivots every day. How can we make things more appealing that are beneficial to us? How can we look at the cues or the feedback in our life and, and really just start looking at 
the systems that are already in place. That doesn't mean you have to completely redo it overnight. And when we focus on one little thing at a time, we recognize that we can start making changes in the spaces in between, in those reps, in figuring out a system that feels better, that works better for us as we are going and growing forward. I know this is a lot of information and it can feel really overwhelming, especially if you're neurospicy like me or you've struggled with habits in the past or you feel like maybe your current system of habits is a really negative one, that you're kind of in a in a rut, you're in a place of feeling like the loops of your life have not been helpful or loving to you. And I just want to say I see you there. I know most of my life has felt that way. And if you were to tell me that I could follow through with a morning routine for the last three months, I would have laughed at you. You would have told me that, one, there are actual tools that worked to help me get out of these spaces, I would have laughed at you. Because I did not believe that that identity shift was possible for me. And I just want to encourage you today to dream for that identity shift, but also allow yourself the space to create the structure as the foundation to actually embody it. When we realize the agency and the decisions that we have actually create the identity that we long to have, we realize how much is actually in our control, that our identity is something rooted in the everyday decisions that we make. If I want to be a kind person and every day I'm focusing on being a kind person, I will then make decisions that are in alignment with what kindness is to me and to others, right? If I want to be somebody who's disciplined, I am making a commitment within myself that I will put at the highest priority of agency discipline in certain areas of my life. And even the word discipline for the longest time really irked me because you see people that are really disciplined and People will say, wow, you're so motivated, you're so disciplined. Discipline is something that is cultivated over continual action. It is something that is cultivated because of momentum in a direction. It is not something that people feel. It is not something that we want to do very often. And yes, there are ways that we have to make it appealing and we have to make it beneficial to our body so that we actually continue making those habits automatic and moving forward in that way. But it is by the decisions that we make. It is by the shifts that we decide to make that really give us the ability to shift things in our life. I can't do the same thing and expect a different result. That our habits form the identity that we then embody. And so if we do not like the current identity that we are in, we need to look at the current identity that we are embodying and the beliefs that we have tied to that. And that is possible even if it feels really big right now. So with all of that being said, I just want to leave you with some questions to ponder. Whether you've read the book, whether you're going to read the book, which I really recommend you do, I want you to just think about these areas and just kind of sit with the answers that you get. What is the current level of change that is driving your current choices? Is it outcome-driven, what you can get? Is it process-driven about a system or habitual change? Or is it rooted in identity? What are the current things that are driving your decisions? And now that you know what is driving those decisions, what is your current identity in that space? How are you looking at yourself in that space? Even if it's results driven, if it's weight loss, what are you believing about yourself in response to weight loss, in response to being a healthy person in that lifestyle? What is your current identity? in the areas of your life that you desire to change. 
And if there was one area specifically that would light you up, that would make you feel so proud and so excited to embody and to shift into, what area would that be for you? Because I promise you these things can shift. They can get better one micro decision at a time. I just want to encourage you forward in this space and knowing that there is always hope. There is always an opportunity to grow and to learn forward. And when we understand your brain is not broken, we just kind of have to hack some of these systems to better support it as it's creating new habits and breaking old habits. The more we realize just how much is in our control when it comes to the identity that we have in these spaces. I hope that this podcast episode has been beneficial to you as you're navigating the new year and that it can be an encouragement to you in moving forward in the areas of your life that might need a little pivoting and change. You can do it, and I know you can because I didn't think this was possible for me. I've seen so many people change around me. I've seen so much that can actively transform when we are committed to it. And that doesn't have to be perfect. That doesn't have to be immediate, but it does have to be consistent. And creating a pattern of consistency that we can actually sustain. So with all of that being said, I'm sending you so much love today. Go crush your habits. Go create the structure that you need and thrive. Sending you so much love. Until next time. 